Welcome in everyone to another episode of our Creighton Volleyball Weekend Wrap-Up. I'm Matt DeMarinas, uh, joined as always by Megan Ballinger. And we're going to recap Creighton's uh, wins of Providence and UConn this weekend and then look ahead maybe a little bit to the last home weekend of the regular season against Seton Hall and St. John's next week. So starting off uh, with a reaction to what went down this weekend, Creighton Swept Providence on Friday afternoon, 25-13, 25-14, 25-16. And then today, when we're recording this on Sunday night, the Jays swept UConn, 25-23, 25-15, 25-21, to snap UConn's eight-match win streak. So UConn's actually, uh, they lost the reverse sweep to the Jays in stores. Then they won eight straight, and then they lost to the Jays again. So UConn's kind of on that Marquette wave where you, they just have lost it recently. So um, not uncommon in the Big East, but nonetheless, UConn's probably going home a little bitter. Megan, you were on the call for Providence, though. Uh, what's your assessment of, of how the Jays performed um, that day? Let's see, they got that one done in 80 minutes. So it's a pretty quick sweep, right? I think you've had a few that have lasted that long. Uh, Back in your day, they were under an hour somehow, but hour twenty is pretty good. You know, that's that's enough fan entertainment, right? But also not enough, not not a lot of drama either, right? Yeah, not a lot of drama. I didn't didn't really feel like you know there was any point where like the crowd was you know super tense or like the players from what it looked like it was a pretty loose, carefree type of environment on Friday afternoon. I would say, um, but I think Crane just started out really strong and then. I mean, serve and pass, I thought they just dominated in that um, and just got Providence out of system um, a ton, a lot of aces, um, a lot of reception errors on Providence's side. So, um, yeah, those things they weren't really able to put over a good attack um, quite a few times during that match. Yeah, I think the first set started out 14 to 2. Yeah, fourteen to two. The Jays have had some good starts to sets recently. That's a little bit of a. I think we we tend to highlight some trends that are maybe that need to get cleaned up, but that's one that's that's working in favor there. They've had some good starts to sets recently. The last two, two and a half, three weeks maybe. Um, that certainly would help, right? You settle in, especially when you're playing teams that you think. Um you know, have more to gain from beating you than you have to gain from beating them. Fast starts are probably pretty important for the underdog, right? That kind of allows them to build confidence and maybe you to question yours. So for Creighton to get off to fast starts here these last couple of weeks, um, and, this, and again on Friday, um, set the tone and, you know, kind of ease their way into things and not really get uncomfortable at any point, that's that's a that's a big check mark in, a, in the good column, right? Yeah, I think Crane, you know, there were times earlier this season where maybe they didn't, you know, kind of stretch that out and get multiple points to start a game um, and kind of had to play from behind. But I think, like you said, I think, you know, most recently they've done a really nice job of getting out to fast starts. And sometimes that's difficult. Um, you know, on paper, I think you look at Providence um, from Crane's standpoint and you think, all right, we should absolutely crush this team, right? And so, Sometimes it can be hard to get in that mojo of like having that urgency to score points right away. But I thought they did a really nice job of that. And their servers went back and, 
and put in really aggressive serves, even, you know, maybe when their passers on the other side of the net weren't the strongest um, and they maybe didn't have to do that. But I think that just allowed them to kind of open up the game early. Yeah, and I think the thing the thing that was probably tricky about this matchup was I don't know if there was any particular area where Providence was maybe and I could be wrong about this and I likely am, but I mean I just don't think there was anywhere on the floor where Creighton was kind of worried about anything from a physicality standpoint from Providence's end, you know. When you look at I mean you just watch them warm up and you know, kind of watch their you know, their verticals and things like that. It just doesn't seem like they could uh that there was any one player in particular on Providence's end that was going to cause a lot of problems for Creighton if they weren't, you know, playing sound volleyball, right? So it was maybe more of a let's just take care of our side of the net type of situation, make sure, you know, we're reading patterns, getting our blocks set up right, getting them out of system as much as possible so that way, you know, we're not giving someone undue confidence, right, from a defensive standpoint anyway. Yeah, I think, you know, it's probably one of those types of scouts where it's like, all right, let's be aware kind of of what they like to do. But at the end of the day, I think what we're going to put out there is probably going to allow us to be on top and um, dominate this match. So I think, yeah, just focusing on your side of the night was probably the most important thing. And then, I mean, they maybe had, what, two or three hitters that you maybe had to worry a little bit about, but they were just able to get them out of system. And then at the end of the day, they really couldn't run, you know, what they would have liked to run. Um, even just, you know, they put good serves over and Providence would pass the ball, but a lot of their passes were like 10 feet off the net. And so that just kind of neutralizes them what they can do offensively. Yeah. 100%. How about let's highlight some things offensively for Creighton. Uh, Kendra Waite is one I want to talk about a little bit. She had seven kills on nine attacks no errors as a setter and i think if you go back to let me double check i'm pretty sure it's the last three matches including providence yes last three matches including providence so that the one at seton hall and at st john's i think if you put that all together she's hitting 700 and averaging 2.4 kills per set as a setter that's kind of absurd um I mean, if your setter is someone you have to worry about, those are outside hitter numbers. When you're thinking about over two kills per set and hitting 700, I mean, I guess they're more middle blocker numbers when you factor in the percentage. But, I mean, that's crazy, right? And you and, and you know what we're starting to see a little bit is it's intentional to get Kendra involved offensively. I think they know that she's got some power maybe. Um, because on some of those out-of-system balls that Creighton has to deal with in transition, you're starting to see that, that passer, whether whether it's Libero or if it's Sky McKeon or Ellie Bolton, you know, come in the front row and, you know, hit that bump set to her on the right side, and she takes a full-on approach and swing at it, right? Like, that's a new little wrinkle for their offense, don't you think? Yeah, I think she's just so confident, and obviously she has that physicality that you need to be able to throw that ball down and even take a swing at it when she needs to. Um but yeah, just having the confidence and then having your team there, you know, putting up good second balls if they want you to hit and that sort of thing, definitely something new. But she's clearly very capable of, you know, putting a good ball in there and getting the defense across the net out of system. Is she, do you think she's Creighton's most, <clears throat> excuse me, most indispensable player? Because when you think about, I, you just try to figure out what does Creighton look like without X? So take away... You know, take away Nora, what is, who slots in there? Take away Keeley, who slots in there? Take away Kiana, who slots in there? It's. I think you could make an argument that 
there's options either already on the floor in different positions or on the bench that you could slot into those positions for those players. And while it's maybe not totally the same level, you could still get similar production out of that. I'm not sure there's anything for Kendra. Like she seems like a one of one on Creighton's roster, right? Because everything she does on the defensive side of the, the, the match we we've analyzed a lot. Right. But it seems like, you know, offensively too, and just her, her energy level, like she'll, he transitions from defense to offense really well to keep the offense going, to keep hitters involved, keep herself involved. I kind of think she's probably, you know, the one player that Creighton can't really replace easily on this roster. Yeah, I would say, you know, I think about kind of the people that could step into that role and, you know, you think they're maybe a little bit more one-dimensional or two-dimensional, whereas her, I think I agree with you, like the energy for me and just every like way that she impacts the game, just, you know, with her tenacious defense, um, being able to place balls, but like fly around on the court, I think she definitely contributes to, you know, how hard the team goes. And I think she's one of those people that, you know, you see her flying around, all right, I'm going to lay out for this ball, that sort of thing. So I think, you know, Mm. physically, obviously she has the skills that she needs. She plays great defense. You know, she can set a ball from anywhere. She'll fly around and do all that kind of stuff. She blocks well today. She blocks really well. Um, So, yeah, I think just as an all around player, yeah, I don't think, you know, there's somebody else on the bench that you would sub in and say, we're going to get the same level of defense, you know, or we're going to get the same level of like offensive attacking from our center. I don't think there's somebody that Creighton has that kind of, can fit all those boxes in the same level that she can for sure i just think uh she kind of lost my train of thought there for a second but i just i just am really impressed with her instincts i think you know especially when you just it's obviously she's athletic that's not really a question right so she's she's uh you know that tenacity and that athleticism paired together leads to the plays that she's able to make right but I think her instincts are really, really high level too. Just when you look at, um, you know, the way she reads hitters, and she gets herself gets herself isolated on blocks a lot of times, and she then the physicality comes through where she's able to hold her own there. You know, when she's one on one as a blocker, um, you know, uh, Nora Sis mentioned today her intelligence level in terms of how she sets up hitters for one on one situations. Like, do you see? her ability come through there as you're reading, as you're trying to read what she's reading, her, her ability to kind of create those isolated situations on pins or one-on-one in the middle of the net with Kiara and Kiana or, you know, whatever it is that she's setting at that point where she's getting one-on-one blocks because of the way she's reading, reading the game and reading what's open for her hitters. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I mean, most of that starts with her, to be honest. I mean, when she's in the front row and those three rotations, especially, I mean, there were multiple times today in the match where UConn's blockers are jumping with her, like they're commit blocking on the center. Yeah. You do not see that often. Yeah. Right. So it's like they're commit blocking. Oh, okay. I'm going to just distribute. And she did that today multiple times, had one-on-one situations and obviously they were able to get big kills up there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of that runs through her. And then, you know, when she is in the back row, too, she has great options. So then I think, you know, that's when the reading kind of comes into play, too, a little bit more. Um, just kind of trying to see where, you know, where your right side is, where your middle, where your 
um, left pin hitter is. Um, just, yeah, I think, and they have so many options too. And that's the other thing, right? Like blockers have to, you know, they can't leave anybody, <laughs> you know, you can't mm -hmm. be like, Oh no, let's leave this girl over here. She's not going to do anything. Right. Like crane has people across the net that are going to put a good ball into play. So, you know, she's able to have fun and, you know, kind of fling that ball behind her if she wants to, or, you know, go to the back row, that sort of thing. So just, she has great options. I think it's kind of a combo of, you know, great hitters and then her being active, of course, and just the athleticism and the ability to place that ball well. Yeah, she does have a lot of, uh, she does take a lot of liberties, right? Like you just, you just see her kind of like, if especially when she's in the middle of the net and she has three options when she can set the back row too. I mean, I just think from a defensive standpoint, that's got to be so stressful because you really <laughs> just don't, you really just don't know what to do because she can, it's like you said, she can, she can fling it behind her. She can fling it all the way across the court to the other pin. She can set the back row. She can set the middle. She's been setting the middle really well this year. Um, so from just like from a blocking perspective, because that's the position, you know, you played a lot. Uh, how stressful is that? When you're going into a match and you know you have to account for the setter at all times, not only because she's aggressive offensively and looking for her openings to score, but also her ability to distribute at different spots on the floor. You know, it'd be different if one thing, I guess, where you're like, okay, she's really comfortable at setting the pin. She's really comfortable at kind of setting, uh, you know, the slide. Maybe she doesn't set the middle all that well. Maybe she doesn't set the back row all that well. Her connections off there and there's not really a, a worry about that when you're when she's on the net but Kendra it feels like she can set all four balls pretty well and call her own number how stressful is that to scout for yeah I mean it's stressful I think it puts you in that type of situation where you're like all right where's my priority right and then you kind of go from there so if they have four hitters you're like all right number one priority that we probably need to stop first is, you know, probably Norsis. I was, you know, blocking against Creighton. And then you kind of go from there, um, you know, depending on the past and the situation, that sort of stuff. But yeah, I think you have to give up something in that situation, right? You can't be every place at every time, although you might try, it's probably not going to happen, especially if Creighton's in system and Creighton, you know, puts themselves in system a lot of the times, even on like dig transition balls. So those are times where, you know, a decision has to be made. And a lot of that comes down to scout and like how much they're going to this person in a rotation, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's stressful. I think you, you have to think a lot more in those types of situations, just kind of like be aware, you know, before the point and then kind of that helps you kind of read when you're in that live situation, um, trying to make decisions. But man, yeah, it's challenging and um, a lot of work for the middle blogger who's trying to close, you know, to every place on the court. Yeah, and I think just a match like that, too, for her, or a string of matches, we talked about the three, three in a row, excuse me, that she hit, you know, 700 and was really aggressive. That kind of helps you in a match like today against UConn, you know, where you look at she had one kill, two errors, um, and eight attacks, right? So, you're like, you look at that on paper and you go, uh, you know, she didn't have as good of a match offensively as she had been having, right? So maybe like a, you would think like a step back. But I think it's just the fact that UConn focused on making her inefficient. Like where they were, like you said, they scouted her, they committed to her. That opened up everything else to the point where Creighton could hit 284 and Nora Sis could hit 271 and Ava Martin could hit 261 and 
Kiara Reinhardt could hit 333 and Kiana Schmidt could hit 600. Like Kendra's taking that negative 125, like for the team almost, but it's because of what she's done in the, in the, this last stretch leading up to the UConn match that maybe compromised UConn from a schematic standpoint where it's like, okay, we have to stay with her or she's going to kill us because she's coming off of a Friday afternoon where she had seven kills on nine attempts. I mean, in a match where we think it's going to be pretty close, that's a lot of points to go up to the setter, right? So, you know, although her numbers on paper aren't going to look as good, everyone else has got elevated because, like you said, they were committing to Kendra, weren't they? Yeah, I, they were very, very worried about her, I think. I mean, you could see it blocking and their backcourt defense. I mean, obviously you want to get to, like, base, you know, kind of sucked in those wing defenders, like, sucked into the middle to, you know, not allow her setter to dump. But, man, I thought they kind of crashed in there um, as their base just because they were so, like, worried about her dumping, just that power dump, um, which, I mean, she does that really well. And, I mean, credit to UConn, they were able to get touches a lot of times, but – yeah, I mean, the middle blockers commit blocking with the setter when she's front row. So you have openings on your pins, right? So I think Crazy. that part yeah. of it is really fun. And, like, as a setter, that is so fun to fake out a blocker and be like, here, have a great have a great set out there. Have a great time with your single blocker. Like, that is so fun. So I think, yeah. you know, she did a lot. And like you said, it doesn't look great on paper. But what she did for their offense, just opening it up for other people, um, was just incredible today. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the fu- that's the funny part about when you look at it. It's like, oh, you know, UConn neutralized Kendra, and then you go down the list, like, oh, but they didn't really neutralize anyone else. That's because of Kendra. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. uh, Nora Sis is is an you know interesting today too because she got out to a slow start. I think in one, you could tell that that UConn was keyed in on her right, and you know once they started to get her to make a couple errors and they go, they go after her and serve receive, right. And got her, you know, got her there a little bit. But I think the one thing that's really impressive about Nora this year is just the way she bounces back from things like that. Cause I think that's something that could, especially for her only being a sophomore, you know, I think that would be something that takes a little bit of time. Right. And it could probably lead to teams, you know, having an advantage over Creighton. If they can get their number one hitter, to be on tilt a little bit, you know, where she's not confident in servicey, where she's not confident passing because he's struggling offensively. You don't you, you see that in in spurts, right, with Nora, but I think that's just going to happen with every player because no one's perfect. The thing that I think is most impressive is the way she bounces out of that stuff. Like she just she'll 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 make some errors, and you know she might shank a pass here or there, or you know not uh, take a. Uh, a swing cleanly, you know, if she's in the back row or playing middle back or whatever, but she just wipes it away and moves on. I think that's what's really impressive and not moves on. Like where she forgets it, it's moves on where it's like, she just kind of like refocuses, gets a little bit more serious about it, gets a little angry, gets a little motivated. Cause I think in, you know, she, she had three errors on her first six swings and she finished with five on her last 42. So like, I mean, she hit she hit three seventy one in sets two and three after she hit zero in set one. So clearly, that's that's what I mean. She can just she's got that ability to bounce back, and I think that's what makes her special, don't you think? Yeah, and I think I mean that's a skill you have to have as a volleyball player, and some people do it better than others, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think she's somebody that she approaches it, you know, the same way every time, and you know, she goes for the kill. You know, maybe she makes an error, but she's gonna go for it um, when she has opportunities. So. 
I think that's what's fun, you know, about watching her. I think, you know, she's that same player. She's very level-headed. Um, just in the way that she, like, acts on the court, her body language, everything, I think, you know, she's the same person. And you look at her and you you don't know that she made three errors, right? Like, she's going to keep going after it. And those are the things that can help sustain you. And sometimes, you know, when it's a new set, you're like, all right, let's let's restart this. Didn't, didn't really go well for me in the first set. Let's get better. And um, she continued to get better and better. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know what the other funny thing is is like, you know, you ask her what what changed, and it's usually one or two answers, but it usually has to do with aggressiveness, and it's it's doesn't it make it? It's kind of curious, right? Because you think I would think that with aggressiveness comes errors, but errors you can live with, you know, because you're sometimes if you're going at it just hard, you're maybe something's not clean with the technique, and you just it's a little bit of a miscue. And you just shoot a ball over the hands when you're going after high hands and it doesn't touch any of them and you're like sending it to the back row, right? Um, but I mean, she was more efficient when she was being aggressive as opposed to when she was maybe getting a little bit cute with her shots. Why do you think efficiency followed with her aggressive mindset? Like, what is it about that aggressive mindset that didn't that that led to fewer errors than when she was maybe trying to think more as she was hitting? Yeah, I think a lot of times, like, you can get tentative, right? Like, and then it just becomes, like, oh, I hit it long. Like, I didn't snap on the ball or I didn't place this tip well, that sort of thing. Like, if you're being tentative in your shot, not quite, like, finishing what you're doing, I think mm-hmm. a lot of times that can result in error. Um, but if you go in and you're aggressive and going for the kill and, um, you know, you're more apt, I think, to, like, get some hands, you know, make a really smart shot, at least swing high. Mm-hmm. Um I think, you know, when you think about things, I think that's when errors can kind of start to happen if you're thinking too much, but you do it so much, you train, um, you know, over and over and over again, the same shots and um, that sort of thing. So I think just trusting like your training and being aggressive and doing that um, and trying to get teams out of system, I think that's always going to serve you well. And that's, I mean, why Kirsten talks about like going for it, right? At the end of games, especially like be aggressive, you know? Trust what you know how to do. Be aggressive. Don't just tip a ball over right to like tip a ball and give them a ball. You don't want to give yeah. another team an opportunity. Right. Yeah. That's probably the biggest part of it is don't give it the other team an easy, easy ball that can set and hit back at you even harder. Right. Uh, what did you? Yeah. You know, one of the one of the things that we maybe talked about last week was Creighton's, um, being a little bit shaky at end game, right? Especially when they have a chance to put a team away. Today was a pretty good example of Creighton maybe cleaning that up a little bit. I don't know if they specifically addressed it in practice and worked on it because I think it's more of a mindset thing. You certainly thought it would be uh, last weekend. Um, so when you look at the way they finished set one and then the way they rallied to pretty much uh, race by UConn, I mean, they were down 21-18 in set three, and they scored the last, what, seven? They won the last seven rallies to win that thing by four. Um yeah, what did you think? Did you think Creighton made some strides this weekend in terms of their end game mentality and their focus and, you know, pairing all that aggressiveness with just some clean volleyball when it needed to be clean so they could finish off sets and not really, you know, have to go to extra points or, or drop some that they had control of? Yeah, I thought so. And I mean, they were obviously able to go on some big runs um, to close out games, which I thought was impressive. Um, but, yeah, I just thought, like, their servers, too, were so confident, very, like, cool and collected, I thought, you know? It's like, it, you didn't look like they were playing from behind um, and that sort of thing. It just looked like 
you know, we're playing our game. We're going to do this. We're going to play really clean volleyball. You know, we're going to string together these points. We're going to all just play together and come back and um, finish out this match. And I thought the third set was especially impressive just because sometimes I feel like those third sets, you know, you're up to, you're like, well, you know, like it's, it's not that big of a deal. Like we want to win. The yeah. Three, you can like step off like, the gas a little bit. Set if yeah. you need it, right. Like, so I thought it was really good to see the urgency there of them saying, no, we're finishing this game in three sets, right? Like we're going to come back even from having to play from behind. And UConn was playing good volleyball at that point too. Um, so I just thought it was impressive. Um, Keely Davis, obviously the huge serving run at the end. I just thought she, you know, was Man. nails from behind the service line. You know, what's crazy about what Keely did too, is there's those, those you know, momentum swings so fast in volleyball, right? And it's just you—you you, you go on a serving run, and then a team calls a timeout, and you come out, and you're just not—you just don't—you don't hit it the same way, you don't feel it the same way, and the run just ends, right? Because it's hard to go on serving runs in volleyball. You know, teams can side out just with anything, you know, or you can hit it in the net, or you can hit it long, especially as aggressive as Keeley is. And there were two points I thought during her—I think she had a six-point serving run to end the match. Um. So I think she got an ace. Uh, she got an ace where I think one of the front row players for UConn had to dive, you know, kind of into the into the post a little bit to to try to keep it alive and just missed it and got the court all sweaty, you know. So they had to wipe the floor up, and while they were doing that, Keeley just kind of set the ball down, and I don't know what she was doing, but it's like it's like she just shut off for a second. She didn't, you know, normally a server will sit there and hold the ball and you'll see their body language go, you know, come on. I want to put this, I want to serve again. I don't want to break my rhythm and things like that. I'm on a roll right here. I just got an ace. I want to, I want to hit the next one. You know, that internal clock just wants to stay on time on schedule. But while, while they were wiping up the floor, Keely just set the ball down at her feet and just stood there and kind of just like, maybe she just like tuned out and wasn't thinking about anything or was just like thinking about anything but volleyball at that moment. And then when, you know, when the official, uh, when he, when she saw that they were done wiping up the floor, she just picked the ball up, kind of went through her in-mind rhythm again, in her in-mind routine, you know, got the whistle from the official and nailed another serve and kept getting UConn out of system. Then they call timeout, which is usually the other thing that kind of breaks the server's rhythm, right? Because you just, you, it's like icing the kicker in football. You just, or icing the free throw shooter in basketball. You just take that, you take that rhythm away, you interrupt it. And then you go into a team huddle and there's things being reiterated to the team. And as a server for Keeley, she's probably thinking, okay, here's what we have to do. Here's all these different um, tendencies we're worried about here in terms of things we want to execute. And then she toes the line again and just goes right back into her routine, nails another serve, gets another ace, and just kept, kept nailing serves. Like nothing broke her rhythm. That was what was crazy impressive to me. Well, there's a, there was a couple moments where it could have, and it didn't. I mean, she is ice cold back there, Megan. <laughs> yeah, she was really impressive. And I think, too, like the aggressiveness of the serves, like you said, like she wasn't just free balling that ball over. She was putting that serve over to get them out of system or get an ace. Um, yeah. And she was rewarded for that. And sometimes it can be easy to kind of take a step back and say, all right, let our defense play, you know, like I'll put it, make yeah. sure we put this ball in, we'll play defense, it'll be okay. But she's like, no, we have to serve aggressive. And 
that's something they did, I think, from the start of the game to the end of the game. Like, all their mm-hmm. servers, I thought, did a really nice job of putting really good aggressive serves over. And there really wasn't, like, a letdown or somebody that was just like, here, you know, <laughs> have yeah. a ball. Good luck or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, I think they did that really well. And um, that, you know, ended up in um, a big run for them, which was really impressive. For sure. And it's things that just don't always show up, I think, you know, or you say them and it's like not quite the same impact as what you saw. Right. I mean, the the, the last point, you know, she got UConn out of system with her with the with the serve on match point. And then she nailed the pass that allowed Kendra to set an in-system ball to Kiana on the slide, which is basically their it's got to be their highest percentage play at this point. I know Nora's a stud, but Kiana Kiana on the slide is like the probably the most efficient play pattern that Creighton runs right now. And for her to nail the pass that allowed Kendra to be able to have that as an option. And then for Kiana to put it down and the match, like that's the kind of stuff you can't really write down and have people understand, but that's Keely just being Keely, you know, nailing serves. She probably had Yukon just so shook at that point. I mean, <laughs> I just don't even know what they could have been thinking. Cause they're up 21, 18 at one second. And then here they are facing match point the next. I mean, they just they just got it snatched away from them, all on a Keely Davis serving run. That was crazy to me. That's but that's that's just who she is. Like she doesn't seem phased by much, you know. <laughs> I just think she knows what she's what she's really good at and knows what she maybe isn't, and it it doesn't bother her. She kind of is really comfortable in her own skin as a volleyball player right now, don't you think? Yeah, I think, you know, she's played a lot of volleyball at this point in her life. So, and played a lot of college volleyball at this point as well. So, yeah, she just knows what to do. And, um, you know, she's in that situation. And like you said, set the ball down. I'm not going to let them, you know, rattle me with this. I'll, you know, go through my normal routine. I'll hold the ball for the normal amount of time. I'll, you know, put in my same serve. Here we go. Like, I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered by the crowd. I'm not bothered by the other team on the side of the net. So, you know, when you can tune kind of everybody out and just have it be you, especially when you're serving, I think that's really important. 100%. How about, uh, well, should we talk about the middle so you can just kind of like zone in real quick and just celebrate and sure. cheese out a little bit because the middles are hitting well and hitting efficiently and getting some balls to terminate or should we focus on Kiana because she's going off right now? Which one do you want to, <laughs> which one do you want to go with first? Um, We can go with Kiana first. Okay, so all right, so here's Kiana Schmidt in a nutshell. So we talked about this a little, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, right? She got off to a really good start to conference play against Georgetown in that first Big East match, where she had nine kills on twelve swings, only one error. But then that Nova Xavier Butler, and then at UConn stretch that four match stretch after that, uh, she hit 085 and only averaged at one point two kills per set, one point one blocks per set. So she got into a little bit of a funk, right? There was a little bit of a slump there. Full boy has she shaken out of that thing. Over the last nine matches, and now including the rematch against UConn, where she didn't, I think she hit 059 in the first matchup against UConn. Um, Today she hits 600. So in the nine Mm -hmm. matches since that trip to stores, she's averaging 2.81 kills per set. So that's outside hitter stuff right there. She's hitting 420. And averaging 1.35 blocks per set. I mean, going off. Going off. Yeah, she's she's just really impressive to watch, you know. Um, these last few matches, I think, 
she's that person that they trust to get kills. Um, and that's really fun to see, um, especially at Endgame. You know, she, I'm like, who should they set? Oh, Kiana, for sure, right? Kiana, like, for sure, you know, right? You know what I mean? For it's sure. crazy. I'm like, Kiana, yeah. set Kiana, like, no question. And I think earlier in the season, obviously, Crane was a little bit one-dimensional, where I was like, oh, the outside's probably getting the ball at Endgame. Yeah. But Kiana on the slide, yeah, for sure. That'd be my number one choice, you know, when you need a point, I think, if yeah. I was the setter, making that decision. So, yeah, she stepped up big, and it's really fun to see her, um, you know, as a senior, too. Her last season, obviously, you'd like to be hitting 600 every single game, but um, <laughs> sure. just, yeah, to see her to see her progression, I think, is really fun. And um, blocking, too, she's been a huge part in Creighton yeah. continuing to get better at blocking this season. Yeah, I mean, you think about the way they've kind of they're, – they're top two now in the Big East in blocks per set as a team. And that wasn't, I mean, they, they went from ninth to second, essentially. And it does feel like it's coincided with her kind of emergence. And I do totally agree with you. It's as crazy as it sounds, like maybe, maybe Nora isn't the number one option right now, offensively. Or maybe it's not, maybe it's not Nora or Ava. Like maybe, maybe it's Kiana on the slide. If you can get an in-system ball, like it does feel like she's terminating. It's just such an absurd rate right now that it feels like automatic points when you're, when it's available to you. I know the slide isn't always available because it's a big time timing play, right? Like I know it's a lot easier to just throw the ball to the outside and have Nora just hit any one of her, you know, five <laughs> or six shots that she's got and just put the ball down. But yeah, you're hundred percent right. Like, and I think we've, we've seen it, right. Cause we started to ask the question, does it feel like Kiana's getting bigger points? Not, not just racking up stats and like where she'll have like 10 kills that you don't remember at all in a in a three set sweep, right? Like, oh, Kiana's got nine kills. When did those happen? Like, it feels like now I could recite all ten of her kills every time she gets them. You know, because they're always big. They're always at big times, and it does feel like that's becoming a little bit of a crutch for Creighton's offense, right? When they when they feel like they need a point or they need a side hour, they need to get something going here because it's just um, something's not clicking. Like Kiana is a really dependable player now in terms of setting. And knowing what you're gonna get when you when you do set her up, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and we talked about, you know, we thought they needed that other dimension to their offense. And I think they're at a point where they're getting really good production from her consistently. Um, so I think you feel good about it. Um, you know, just having those options. Obviously, Creighton has great options across the court, but in big time moments, you kind of have those people that you're like, I you you know to get a kill or swing really smart you know and she swings really high she swings smart you know she doesn't swing down into blocks typically you know or just like give people free balls so i think she's in a good position to be that dependable player for them that is absolutely amazing and then you factor in kiara reinhardt too six kills six kills two errors 12 attempts today so between the two of them you know that middle right side portion of the offense is i mean 16 kills on 27 swings just nuts right there right that's 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 crazy stuff when your middles are that are putting the ball down that many times right i mean your offense is clicking yeah i think they did a nice job and the crazy thing is i think like the connection can get even better like with kiara reinhardt like today i thought there were some balls that you know weren't quite in her pocket to hit them um and I thought, you know, previously last weekend, especially I thought there was a really good connection. So today I thought, you know, it was a little bit off at times. So 
yeah, just to know that you can even get a little bit better in that area is really exciting. And hopefully I can kind of tune that in and get really efficient at running Kiara, you know, in front again. Um, it, that way it'll just, you know, open things up for everyone else too. Yeah. hundred percent is the, is the connection with Kiara. Is that an interesting one? Because, you know, her and Kiana are a little bit different, right? Kiana's more of a, like how well she can elevate. And Kiana feels like Kiara feels like a little bit longer of an athlete. Don't you think? So it's probably a different, is it a different ball between the two of them? It's not the same one, is it? Like you yeah, I feel like it's a little. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit different. Um, just their arms seem a little bit different to me. I don't know. I can't really pinpoint specifically what it is. I guess, but um, and you know, Kiana, they run on the slide typically a lot, so like, like you don't see her in the middle of the court too much. Maybe like two or three attempts a game. Um, right. But I think Kiana reaches high really well. So I think Kendra too can just kind of be like, all right, I'll throw it up. Even if it's not, you know, perfect, yeah. like, you can go up and get it. She can um, kind of toss think, it like she's setting an outside, right? Because Ki- Ki- yeah. Kiana can get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Kiana can kind of get it and even hang a little bit if she needs to, you know, if the timing's not quite right. And Kiara, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe has a little bit of like a faster arm thing that she wants to get on the ball a little faster. So maybe it's kind of part of that. She needs it more like right in her window. Um, yeah just from observing it, I guess, from afar, but no, yeah, fair. hopefully, hopefully they'll, they'll figure it out and kind of, you know, figure out what each person needs and um, continue to get better at it. So uh, let's switch gears to the transition, dig transition. Uh, Cause over the last five matches, uh, Creighton's out hitting their opponents in dig transition, 388 to 155. <laughs> and I, I want to give credit here to, to Creighton's opponents a little bit. Because I feel like 155 in dig transition against Creighton isn't horrible. <laughs> like, when you think, considering how often those transition numbers are probably on out-of-system balls, I don't think it's that terrible to hit 155 against Creighton. Considering how often you must be out-of-system and everything like that. Um, especially with Nora and Ava and Kiana and Kiara hitting at you. Like, if you happen to put any of those balls back in play and not let them hit the floor... I doubt they're they've I doubt you pass a three on any of those, right? So anyway, the the absurd part of it is Creighton hitting 388 in transition. That doesn't feel right. That feels like absurd. That's crazy. I mean, it's crazy to think that, honestly. <laughs> but I think, I mean, honestly, you watch them play defense and how many of those digs when they're able to are off the net. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's very many. I think there's definitely yeah. concerted effort to get that ball up to the net when they can. Especially, I think, even a free ball, a lot of the players take it with their hands so they can get the ball there a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, too, because um, Kendra's up there ready to dump. And if she's in the yeah. front row, they want yeah. that ball dug right on the net. So the blockers have to worry about all of those options. And they have that power dump available. So I don't know if that's so much than, like, talking about it. I'm sure it's probably a point of discussion saying hey Kendra's in the front row let's make sure when we know so that we can put that ball on the net and even if it goes over the net a little bit she's winning what what 85 percent of the joust she does right so uh, that, it's that, like that feels that feels right? low it's kind of a yeah. win-win yeah, yeah that feels like that feels conservative too 85 percent so okay. like that you know it's interesting because I was asking you'd probably laugh about this because I, I I I asked Kirsten I asked Kirsten Berthold Booth if if she if that's unusual to be hitting that much more efficiently in dig transition than you are on first ball kills. And I think you were kind of like on it last week when we talked about it, you're like, yeah, 
I think there's maybe a problem with the first ball offense there. Because <laughs> because it's not necessarily that you don't want to hit that efficiently in transition, but I think what maybe stood out to you more was the inefficiency on first ball kills and what that kind of means in terms of what's going what's what's not leading to an efficient offense on those balls. And I think I don't I, I think Kirsten kind of made the same point without making the same point. She didn't really address it. She kind of just like, yeah, you wish you would be better on first ball kills though. And I go, well, that's fair. But you know what's I, you know what's kind of crazy to me cuz I was trying to observe it and see like if I noticed anything on differences between first ball and and in transition. And I don't know if you felt this way or not. So this might sound a little crazy because obviously I'm a volleyball dummy and you're an expert, but it feels like Creighton passes better in transition than they do on serve receive. Like it just caught me because I like for instance, like I think Creighton, I think teams serve Creighton's libero way more than you should. So that's one area right there. But I also think Allison Witten passes really well. When she's flying all over the court trying to, you know, trying to cover seams. So I think in a weird way, Creighton might, I don't know if this, or it's obviously they have the numbers to back it up, so I could be way wrong. But it feels like just from watching it, that Creighton is a better passing team when, you know, when they're just trying to read uh, the other team's offense as opposed to when they're in serve receive. Does it feel like that to you? Am I off base there? Because I feel like that's what's leading to their extreme efficiency in transition is their ability to just pass threes. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, just watching the defense, I I think it's impressive. Like, I I feel like they're getting a lot more balls, like, up to the net, you know, three pass sort of, like, on a dig than I would anticipate is typical. Um, so I definitely think that's part of it. Um, they do a good job, I think, too, now, like, getting block touches. I think that's an area where they've grown a little bit. Like, even yeah. if it's not a stuff block, I think they're getting pretty good touches where it slows down the ball. And I think Crane's defense really has a concerted effort to put that ball on the net. You know, it's not good enough just to put that ball, like, 10-foot line. Like, we need to push that ball up so that we have a middle option. We have a setter option. You know, we have all those options. So, I think that's something that they do really well. Um and it's like fun to see them have all those options in transition, even if it's a ball, you know, that's kind of rocketed over at them. I think mm. they get really good digs up and then they can have a lot of options offensively in transition. So I guess the question is, how, how do they get better at serve receive at this point? Because that's probably, I mean, when you look at their numbers on first ball kills, that's probably a big contributing factor, right? When you're, when you're hitting in the, like the low two hundreds and, you know, below that, usually every single night on first bills, um, it's probably related to that first contact, don't you think? Yeah, I think a lot of it is obviously first contact. Um, and then, I mean, in rotations, teams scout where you go, uh, right? Yep, so, yep. like, percentage-wise, you know, if, if I'm in a certain rotation as a blocker, or as, you know, a defender, I'm like, all right, this rotation we scouted 70% of the time they're going out to Norris. Um, you know, 50% of the time they'll run a slide, that sort of thing. So I think you can hmm. be a little bit more aware in those situations. Gotcha. Um, so I don't know if that contributes also to it, just because, I mean, you do scout like rotation by rotation and what the tendencies are. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then, you know, in transition, it's a little bit more like freedom, obviously, like, you know, maybe Kendra likes to set a certain player, but if you have a ton of options, she could really do whatever she wants. So I think it's a combo of both, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know where a team's going to go in transition, especially if they have a great pass. Yeah. Well, listen, Creighton's going to continue to hit like 400 in transition. They, you're offsetting it to be a pretty elite offense anyway, even if you're not, if you're not as efficient as you want to be in first ball kills, but you're, you know, if you're getting 20, 25 kills a night in transition. And I mean, they're averaging 9.7 kills per set in dig transition. So, I mean, it's a healthy portion of their offense right there is coming in transition. So if you're going to, if you're going to, if a lot of it's coming from that area of the game, and you're going to continue to be that efficient in that area as well. I mean, offense is offense at the end of the day. Whether you're getting it on first ball kills or whether you're getting it in transition, they're scoring at a high rate regardless, right? It's all math at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think maybe Creighton, you know, down the road, like today they did it where they ran Ava Martin on like a two ball and they crossed some people to finish mm-hmm. off the set. I think you might see them do a little bit more of that as it gets deeper into the season just because mm-hmm. teams haven't scouted it like that's something that isn't going to be on your scout so the blockers aren't going to be super aware so i think when you start kind of moving your pieces around too on serve receive um hope hopefully you have a good pass so that you can kind of run everything that you want to but yeah. you know if you start moving people around and teams aren't super aware of what you're doing i think that could lead to them you know maybe being a little bit more efficient too um just kind of creating that disruption um for blockers on the other side of the net yeah. All right, Megan. This is an important question for you because you've been out of the out of the program for a few years now. So I want to see okay. how uh how unconditioned you are. Because <laughs> when I asked the players about this today, they were not ready for this question. Oh, how God. many <laughs> how many matches are left in the regular season? The regular season has four matches left. Okay. All right. So Megan is Megan is not a robot anymore. The like, I love the schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I asked uh, Nora and Keeley kind of along the lines of, you know, basically Creighton needs to win three more matches in any sequence of these next four to clinch a share at least of the Big East regular season title. And obviously that's one of the big streaks they have going as a program right now is, you know, they haven't, they've won every single big regular season title, or at least a share of it since 2014. Right. Um, so, but so Nora and Keeley weren't, weren't quite aware that there were only four matches left in the regular season. Cause they're in the one match at the time mantra right now. They're stuck in that. They're stuck in that, in that wave. So yeah, that's, that's, I mean, there's four matches left. They're 14-0 in Big East play right now. Today, they just clinched a bye in the first round of the Big East tournament, so they'll be a top-two team regardless. They'll get that first day off. They won't have to play until the semifinals. That's big, too, because you're looking at playing three matches in four days, and, um, you know, that's just that's just an extra day of taxing you physically that goes into Selection Sunday, and it's just, I don't know, it's just one more day. I think you're a little bit less energized for that week of practice for the NCAA tournament. So I think that's big from that regard. Um, but also their three, their magic number to win a Big East title is three. You know, they're, they're they're putting another number on the banner if they win three of the next four in any sequence. If they if they win three of the next four and one of them is Marquette, it's an outright title. If they win 
you know, if they win the next three and lose to Marquette, it's still a shared of the Big East title. So either way, do you think about that as a player? Or is it is it really just like Nora and Keeley were just like dumbfounded today? It was like, oh, we're almost done here, aren't we? Like, you know, where you think about it one match at a time, or do you start to see like, you know, the trophy in sight? Uh, no, I I would always think about it at one one match at a time, to be yeah. honest. Um, and I think too, like even if I was playing, I don't know if I would have known how many matches were left in the season. No. I think it's one of those things where it's like, all right, we have this next weekend. Like, yeah. where are we traveling or are we at home? Like, what are we doing? Right. And then it's like, oh, what day do we play this team uh-huh. on? Right. Like, oh, are they the Friday or the Sunday? So yeah, That's I think wild, it man. really yeah, I think it really just yeah. is that that sort of approach and clearly it's worked um yeah who but... can argue with it i mean you guys are like yeah since 20 i mean that's the that's been the mentality since 2014 and that's that's you keep hanging banners so that's why yeah it's just funny to see the human reaction to it you're like oh we only have four matches left oh i didn't even know like how do you not know that's, yeah and i'm sure they know? were disappointed they're like oh wow yeah i know like oops kind of blew that there but yeah you, i i think it's it's it certainly is a factor. Like when you're able to focus on the now, you know, you perform at your best and you move on to the next one. And if there's not a next one, then you know, you're the best because you've done it. Like you're 14 to know right now. So you're obviously know that you're chasing perfection a little bit. And I don't know. I think I watched that blue white scrimmage and saw that there was enough physically for them to run the table. You know, you just look at how explosive Ava and Nora are. Um, how just sound Keeley is and then you look at Kiana and Kiara and you think about their potential and obviously Kendra's in year two with a whole year of starts under her belt as a D1 setter and you look at how she impacts the game defensively and you're like all right you know and then how are they from a serving perspective and Ellie Bolton's really stepped up to give them just another ace server along with Keeley Davis and it's just like yeah they have a lot of weapons they have, they have physicality they have savviness. They have some veterans. They have some young players who just kind of like are carefree and don't really think about, you know, errors. They just kind of go point to point and play hard. Um, but it did feel like, I don't know if it felt like to you, but it did feel like a team that had the ability to run the table. Did you get that sense maybe early on in the season that they had, they had the capability of being that next team that keeps the O in the loss column for a, for a big East run. Cause that's, I mean, they're 14 to no right now. They're almost done with it. So, they're on that path. It's hard to argue with what they've done. Yeah, I think, I mean, they have so much depth. I know that's been talked about a ton, but I think, you know, they have so many really high-level players across the board and so many on the bench, too, that just don't get to see a lot of court time, um, which I think serves them really well. I mean, they have a great, like, B-side practice squad, which I think is super important, especially as you get deeper into the season. Um, and then, yeah, just, you know, those key people that get a ton of regular time are just great players. I mean, Kendra Way, obviously a great all-around player for them. Um, Nora, Ava, the middles have continued to get better, and I think that connection gets better. Um, they play great defense. You know, I think there's not like a statistical category where you now are like, what's happening here, right? I think they've raised their level, and they play at a really high level across all skills. And you know who else we didn't talk about from this weekend? that I think we both felt was having a really good preseason. And, you know, we were both kind of curious how she factored into that that rotation. Abby Milner. Abby Milner had a really good 
uh, afternoon against Providence. Like, you know, she came into that first set and, you know, finished it off with a kill and a block and, you know, got some more run as the match wore on. Like, I think because she was playing really well. And something that uh, was mentioned in the post-match presser was that, you know, I don't know. I imagine being on the bench and not getting a lot of playing time, your your mentality is a certain like you can go a certain way. You can either be out there just kind of having fun and bringing energy and not really trying to focus in on what's going on in the match. You just know bring energy when something good happens or when the team needs it and go from there. But with Abby, it sounds like she's the type of player who is really locked in on the scout and is kind of like an extension of the coaching staff there on that back line with Jayla as they're standing behind everything and they're kind of coaching players up and reading the game as it goes on. And I think you saw that in her performance, like, you know, Kirsten calls her number to finish out game one and six with her in game two. And she was able to execute kind of the things that they were doing, you know, from a game plan standpoint, like how valuable is that, that, or how hard is that to do from a, from a player in her role to be locked in, you know, that tightly onto the scout to where you, when her number is called, she's kind of ready to execute it and not just ready to go out there and just like swing away and play basically. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's really hard. I mean, I, I guess I wasn't really in that position too much. Um, that's true. But that's fair. Yeah. But, Humble I mean, brag there by Megan. She's like, yeah, I don't know what that's like. But yeah, I guess. Well, I guess my red year, maybe. I mean, that's I, true. Yeah, that's you're like eligible to play. But um, yeah, I think it's hard to do. But at the same time, like, those are the people that make great teammates. And especially like when you play a position. Um, you know, the same position as somebody else. And, you know, maybe they're getting a ton of playing time. You see things uh, on the bench that they, you know, might not see live just because there's so much going on, especially, you know, where the defense is set up against you. You know, how many blockers you have? Is this girl going to jump with you? That sort of thing. So I think if you're able to kind of come off, especially as a middle blocker, I mean, you're not in there for six rotations typically. So you kind of come off, I think, to get some feedback from somebody that plays that position and is really locked into you on the court is really helpful. Yeah, I think we I'd have to go back, but this does feel like Creighton's deepest team to me. It just when you think about, you know, how you felt about Abby Milner coming out of the exhibition season, like you're like, oh man, it's gonna be tough to keep her off the floor. It feels like she's playing really well. You watch her in practice and you're like, okay, cool. And then in like Kiara and Kiana, you watch how they're playing, it's like, oh yeah. They're really good too. And it, it does feel like it just doesn't feel like there's much of a drop off between, like you said, the A side and the B side. Like whoever's that starting six, that first group that you're trusting to go out there. And then you look at the players who are just kind of on the bench, kind of waiting their turn. You know, it doesn't feel like there's a much big, a huge drop off there. And I don't, you know, I it does, I do kind of wonder if this is Creighton's deepest team because it just feels like it. It feels like when you've seen what those players have been able to do when they're called upon and how they're just kind of ready to go. And you see their ability level and everything like that just feels like Creighton's got a little bit of a luxury there to where, you know, knock on wood, you don't want it to happen, but if someone goes down, someone's ready and they're not just ready to fill the spot. They're ready to play well in that spot. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it's, you know, something were to happen, obviously you've got, great options you could shift around um you know a number of people into different positions and you know a number of the girls that you know are on the bench could be starters at other schools right like that you're playing against so i think that's just 
a really great luxury to have. And I think it makes your team better too. I mean, when your practices are really tough and you have great competition in practice, it makes everyone raise their level. Yeah. Cause you know, you have to keep earning that spot, right? Like, you know, you can't have three straight weeks of just subpar practices and mail it in and expect your spot to be reserved for you. Right. You're kind of fighting for that thing the whole time, aren't you? Exactly. And I think, I mean, players, you know, when they're, when they're aware of that, I think it's, it's really great because it makes you work harder, right? Like you're like, I need to, okay, I earned my spot. Well, what do I need to do to keep it? You know, those sorts of things. And I think this team, you know, you're in a position where you have two or three people, you know, for a position where it's like, wow, like they could play, they could have a great night. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you've seen that with um, Jazz Schmidt a little bit too. I mean, she's been subbed in, played great. You know, she's gotten, against Providence she got a little bit more time and they took Keely out for a while you know so mm-hmm. and she did a good good job so yeah. um it's kind of like based on matchups too I think you know you could see down the road okay we need a spark here or this matchup's a little bit better like maybe this person's fits into that slot better than somebody else that you know maybe was starting typically but mm-hmm. I mean it's hard to be on a team you know that's so competitive because it can drive you crazy a little bit you know maybe yeah, competing sure. and uh trying to beat out other teammates and that sort of thing but I think it really creates a good environment um of people getting better yeah 100 percent. so there are four matches left in the regular season uh that's breaking news to the players but not to us uh, so the Creighton will host St. John's and Seton Hall next weekend. The St. John's matches first uh, Friday, 6.30 p.m. at DJ Sokol Arena. Then they'll play Seton Hall on Sunday, so they'll get the day in between. And the next weekend, the weekend after that, will be a little bit more difficult. They'll play DePaul first in their final road trip. That'll be at 7 p.m. on Friday. And then they'll play Marquette on Saturday at 6 p.m. the next night. So less than 24 hours well, less than 24 hours after they played DePaul. And both those teams took great into five sets. So that's going to – I mean, this next, these next four are going to be really tricky. One, there's a couple things in play here. Obviously, Creighton's in position right now to contend for hosting a first-round regional, much to Megan and I's uh, imploring them to go on the road and be happy with it. It does feel – I mean, first of all, to be serious, it does feel like this team plays really well at home, so – this might be the squad to buck the trend. We'll see. Um, so all kidding aside, even though history says go on the road, your success is <laughs> your success speaks for itself. Um, they are still in position to earn a hosting spot. So I don't know if they can lose to anyone else but Marquette one more time um to pull that off because their RPI is kind of on that cutoff line already. I think they were 15 coming into the week, and UConn was 104 in the RPI Providence was 255. So I don't know if any of those matches are going to do them huge favors in that regard. But when you look at St. John's was 77 coming into the week, Seton Hall's 136, the Paul's 143, and Marquette is 12. So that's you're looking at four um sub 150, or not sub 150, but you know, top 150 matches left. One top 20, one top 15. Um so there's there's quality matches left for them to win their resume boosters. And that's what they have for the next four. So is it is it really just is it is the key really just sitting at one match at a time and not looking at the clump because you can kind of get ahead of yourself and maybe drop one and it, it's detrimental to your resume and your 
your shot at winning an outright Big East title and things like that? Or do you dare look at the grouping and say, all right, you know, let's just kick four more people's asses and we're hanging a banner here? Well, you know, Kirsten won't let them think ahead, but um, for sure. Yeah, I think you lose a game to, you know, anyone before you play Marquette, and I think you kind of screw yourself. So, you know, you don't want to look ahead. Obviously, it's not going to be hard to be geared up for that Marquette match. And, I mean, it's always, you know, fun to play Marquette, but you've got to take care of St. John Seton Hall. And I think the real test for them, I think, will be DePaul. because I I totally agree. Doesn't that feel like the hardest match of the four? Yeah, it feels like the hardest, not just because they played them in five in Omaha, but I just think having it, you know, that's their last weekend on the road, obviously, is is those two games. I think at home, they'll take care of it. I just, this team does play well at home, and I don't think those opposing teams play well when they play at Sokol, um, typically. And then, yeah, DePaul, I feel like, plays well at home. Um, And then they're kind of a wild card. I think some days they play really well, and then some days they don't, and Mm-hmm. Um, obviously Creighton had challenges, challenges with them in Omaha. So we'll see how that goes. And, you know, hopefully they win that one. And then, then I think you can look ahead to Marquette and say, okay, like, this is what we play for. Obviously this matchup is going to be, you know, really close really to like highly talented teams. Yeah. I think historically speaking, the Marquette DePaul road trip has always been tricky from the coaching staff's perspective when DePaul's on the, end of it mm-hmm. because you know the players are going to be up for Marquette and once they're done with Marquette you f- you're worried about a let up there right I feel the opposite way eh, maybe you can feel differently because you lived that from that perspective of playing Marquette first and then going to DePaul um, or playing DePaul second but it feels like and this is probably where the one match at a time mantra really really needs to be in hyperdrive because in order for you to focus on DePaul and not think about what's next but it's hard for me to think that, hey, we're going to go play on the road this weekend. We're playing DePaul on Friday, and, less, and then less than 24 hours later, we're playing Marquette. You know, it feels like that DePaul match is going to be really, really difficult because how do you not think about Marquette? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the one that's going to be the biggest match of the year when you factor in. If you're if you're three and up to that point or you think you should be three and up to that point in the last four, that Marquette match represents hosting. It represents an outright Big East title. It represents the bragging rights in the Big East because you want to sweep them and you don't want them to get up on you as they go into conference tournament play. Like, that one's going to be hard to not think about, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think, too, even from a practice standpoint, I mean, you obviously don't have, like, you can't just completely ignore Marquette and then say, oh, Saturday on our walkthrough for one hour, we're going to (laughs) talk about what we need to do against Marquette, right? So a lot of practice time the previous week will be doing things, you know, emulating things that Marquette does um, and practicing against that. But then, oh, yeah, like, let's talk about what DePaul does. So I think that is kind of the hard switch on, switch off, too. Um, just because Marquette has so many offensive weapons that you can't just ignore them and say, let's have, you know, 12 hours of prep or whatever. So, right. yeah, I think, I think I agree. I think this is kind of a hard, a hard one mentally and you have to take it one match at a time, but I think at the same time you have to do all those things to get you prepared to play against Marquette. Yeah. 100%. Either way, these last two weekends are going to challenge Creighton's focus. Like I don't think any, any weeks they've had so far this season, but I also think this is what you play for too. 
So not to make excuses for them, but I mean, when you, you, I think when you put on a Creighton uniform, especially now, because the history is kind of just like it slaps you in the face. Every, I mean, you walk through DJ Sokol Arena, you walk through the roof, and it's just all over the walls. It's hanging from the ceilings, and and you know, Abby Miller even mentioned it kind of in the in the post match presser on Friday, like why she, um, why she's able to to compartmentalize the frustration of not being like a starter and still focus and do her job and, and do it well enough to be a contributing factor on the team. Right. And she said, well, playing for Creighton is a privilege. And I think that's, I think the players emulate that. I think, you know, when you put on the Creighton uniform, it means something because of all the history that's attached to it and all the things you guys have done going to the space 16, going to the elite eight, winning every big East regular season title since 2014, winning every conference tournament title, except for one since 2014. Like there's a lot of history that you're kind of I know it meant a lot to you when you were a senior. You know, especially when Marquette came into the gym and remember it was for the big East regular season title. The winner was going to be the outright champ, that sort of thing. Like it I remember you saying specifically that it meant a lot to you to not be the ones who kind of let it let it go. You know? <laughs> like we don't want to be the team that that it, it doesn't want you don't want it to end we don't want it to end with us. We want to keep it going. So I think that's something that maybe Creighton's players emulate a little bit. It's like they know what they're playing for, and it's more than just – It's a lot of it is what is on them and what they want to accomplish, but it's also just the program. I think they feel that. So these last four are going to be really challenging. It's going to challenge their focus in, in ways they haven't been challenged this year because it is the end of the line. But I also think this is why you come to Creighton too, is to play these types of matches in November and December, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, like you said, there's a lot of history, and I think, like, recent history especially, that's, you know, easy to follow. And for players, even on the team now, that, you know, we're in situations where they're winning Big East championships, going into the play tournaments, and that's become the standard, um, you know, at Creighton. And, yeah, you don't want to, like, be the team that didn't win a Big East championship, right? So I think – you just play for that like standard and that level of play. And you know that, you know, that's like part of your job. That's what you're supposed to accomplish at the end of the season. For sure. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, <laughs> next week is Satan Johnson, Seton hall at home. It's the final regular season home match. So get out there. Um, and well, I guess, I mean, they'll play the big East tournament too. So maybe we're cheating a little bit, but still, um, so yeah, that's 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 all I got for this week. What do you got, Megan? Anything else on your mind left to talk about? What did we miss anything? Probably didn't no. talk about Ava. Cut Ava enough, maybe, but okay. We'll get her. We'll get Must her. Okay. We'll get her next week. <laughs> <laughs> she did have a really good weekend though. 13 kills against Providence, hit 526. And then she was really big at the end of set one today against UConn. I think she had four kills on the last five points that Creighton scored. So yeah. She was big today for sure and this weekend as a whole. So there's there's the Ava Martin analysis there. That's all I got. <laughs> She's been killing it though. Having a great freshman year. Um so yeah, anyway, that's the Creighton volleyball weekend wrap up. Jay's sweet Providence and Yukon. Next week is St. John's and Seton Hall. Four matches left in the regular season. The Jays are twenty two and three overall, fourteen and zero in Big East play. I believe their ABCA ranking that I don't personally care about right now is 13. Their RPI is 12. So all things trending in the right direction for Creighton Volleyball. Um, as always, we thank you for tuning in and giving us a listen. Um, 
we'll be back next weekend for sure. And to wrap up the regular season as well and get you going into the NCAA tournament. So for Megan Ballinger, I'm Matt DeMarinas. Thank you all for tuning in. We all hope you all have a great week and we'll talk to you all soon.